Welcome to Crossbridge Brickle's weekly podcast. Whether you are listening to us for the first time or revisiting a previously heard message, thank you for listening, and we hope that the time that you spend with us helps connect your life to the way of Jesus. Every week we gather in the south end of downtown Miami in the financial district of Brickle. If you're in Miami or coming to Miami to visit, make sure to join us Sunday nights at 5 o'clock at 1770 Brickle Avenue. Included with the podcast today, we want to provide online notes for you to follow along with the message through the Bible app, as well as our Spotify playlist to listen to our music played during our gathering on the weekends. All of this information is found in the description of this week's podcast. If you have any questions about Crossbridge, Jesus, or faith in general, we would love to hear from you, and the easiest way to connect with us is by emailing us at brickle at crossbridgemiami.com or send us a text to our text-in number at 305 305- Nine three zero seven zero zero six. Once again, thank you for tuning in. And now here's this week's message from Crossbridge Brickle. Well, good evening, guys. That was really bad. Good evening. Good evening. There. Oh, so, well, good evening. There we go. There's a reason why I went four times. We normally go two times, but four times because we're dealing with a very heavy topic tonight. And why would God allow pain and suffering? And I'm going to need you to engage. I'm going to need you to stay attentive and actually participate in the sermon. I'll explain what that looks like here in a moment. Uh, This evening, we're launching a new series that's going to span the next four weeks and it is called Explore God. Now, what's exciting about this series is that we are not the only ones launching this series. Crossbridge is not the only church launching this series. Rather, we are partnering with churches all over Miami-Dade County that are preaching on the very topic that we're looking at tonight. They've preached on it all throughout the day, and they'll be continuing in the series for the subsequent weeks as we kind of partner together as a capital C church in the city to say, we want to be a place where people can wrestle with doubt, where skeptics are welcome, where people can ask hard questions and not be chastised, and you have the freedom and the safety to work through these things at all of our participating churches. And that certainly is true here at Crossbridge, and we hope that you know that. Now, uh, this question of suffering is a question that I think all of us have asked, that we maybe still ask, why would God allow pain and suffering? Why would he allow pain and suffering in my life? And we can think maybe of particular things. And so because that's the topic, I thought, what better way to launch it than to suffer a little bit myself? And so here's, what, here's how you're going to participate. See that number right there? I want you to text in your answer to that question. I want you to text in right now. You got a couple minutes before we're going to engage. You can text in your answer to why would God allow pain and suffering? Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to then randomly choose a few, read them, and we're going to dissect them together live here uh, tonight. And some of you are like, well, now I'm not texting in because I don't want to be outed for my answer. It's all going to be anonymous. I'm not going to share anyone's name. I'm just going to read a few of these and we're going to dissect them to see how you answer it. If someone were to ask you, why would God allow pain and suffering, what would you say or what do you think is an answer? You see, this question, it does not just, is not only confined to Christianity, it actually spans every belief system, every religion, every philosopher has asked this question. 
And we ask it in two ways. We ask it from a philosophical place, which is we want to understand logically, we want reason, we want our head to be satisfied, our mind to be satisfied with an answer to the question. And then we also ask it existentially. We want our heart to be satisfied. We want to be comforted. comforted com- that, was, that was like, oh, I, I said like three words that made no sense. Comforted by the answer as well. And the reason we ask this question is because in the midst of pain and suffering, our natural reaction is to ask why. There's one thing that's true of every single person in the entire world, and that is you will experience pain and suffering. Every single person faces it in many different forms, in many different ways, whether it is anxiety or infertility or abuse or we see mass shootings and violence or disaster or disease or disappointment and death, we will all experience pain and suffering in many different ways in our life. And our natural response is to look up to whatever God we believe in, regardless of your religion or regardless of what you hold true, and to say, why? Why is this okay? Why is this allowed? If you were at the forum on Thursday night, the Explore God Forum, was anyone there? Let's, let's clap, I can't see. Anyone, yeah, it was good. Ravi Zacharias and Abdu Murray, they'd be kind of kicked off this series and they address a lot of questions of faith and the existence of God. And Abdu Murray, who is an apologist, which means he doesn't apologize for Christianity, it means he defends it. An apologist is a defender of the faith. That's what it means. It's using well-reasoned arguments to defend something. And so he's a defender of the faith and he said something that I thought was hilarious and very true. And that is, we never question God in our pleasure. None of us ever say, God, why did you let my favorite team win the championship? Why did you give me that promotion, God? I can't believe you gave me that promotion. We never question God in pleasure, but in pain, our natural reaction is to say, why? I don't understand. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. And we all ask it. And it's answered in many different ways. So Islam addresses and answers the question of why would God or Allah why would he allow pain and suffering? And here's what they say. It's, suffering is a direct result of unbelief, of kafir. And because of unbelief, we have suffering. And it is God's will, and so you have no right to question it. You just have to accept it, and you have to then refine yourself and purify yourself and grow yourself so that you can live in, more, in a deeper surrender to God. This is... The answer to why God allows pain and suffering. It's his will. Don't ask, just conform and surrender. Eastern religions answer this question very differently. They say that pain and suffering is an opportunity for you to to recognize who you are and the reality of what is around you. So Buddhists will say that pain and suffering is something that you have to first accept and then you transcend. So once you've accepted it, that it's a reality of life, you have to then begin the process of removing yourself from it, to remove its attachment to you, to transcend away from it, to be enlightened. Hinduism says that pain and suffering is a result of karma. It's cause and effect. It is things that you have done in your past, maybe even in past lives that are now catching up to you and you have to pay for it. And you just have to grit your teeth and move through it as you pay your karma. Atheists have addressed this question as well, and we see a lot of this in philosophy with 
the likes of Albert Camus and Michel Foucault and Frederick Nietzsche, who said, here's how we're going to address the question of pain and suffering. We're going to remove the problem. And what they believed the problem was, was God. If you remove God, you still have pain and suffering, but you don't need to make sense of it because life is meaningless. And we're just a byproduct of natural selection. And suffering is just a part of the cycle and reality of life. So no point in questioning it. Life is meaningless. Just endure and move through life as best you can. And Christianity as well has a long, long history of answering this question. So I'm checking right now. This is your last chance. Text in your answer. Hey, we got a lot of them. Okay, this is good. All right. Remember, I'm not going to say any names. I'm going to read a few of these off. Okay, here's the first one. Pain and suffering. Why would God allow pain and suffering? He allows pain and suffering in order to complete you as a person. There was a scripture passage as well, James chapter 1, verse 2. This is a good answer. God allows pain and suffering to complete you as a person. Or maybe another way of saying that is that God uses pain and suffering to grow you, to refine you. That diamonds are produced through pressure. Gold is produced through fire. Everything beautiful in life takes pain, it takes suffering, it takes pressure and tension in order to become something beautiful. And if we believe as Christians that God is in the process of making us more like him, like Jesus, then pain and suffering is a way in which God brings us more into his image. The book of Romans, there's a a verse in Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 37, that lists off a bunch of things that we may suffer and face in life. And it says that we are more than conquerors through these things. That we are conquering the pain and the suffering of our life. So I think this is a good answer, especially because we know that this is true in our life, that endurance and perseverance produces strong character and virtue. So it's good, it's true, but it's incomplete. It's incomplete because... Not all of our suffering is so neatly packaged to fit the refinement or that God's going to grow us as a person answer. We can see that when we make choices that are direct result of our actions, we say, okay, I see God while you're using the consequences and the suffering of my decisions to grow me and refine me and my character to become more like you. However, what about when things are inflicted upon us? What about when things are done to us? What about when our dreams are dashed and we are facing disappointment and we have done nothing, it seems like, to deserve these things? We can ask God, God, is it really necessary? Is this disappointment really necessary? Is this suffering that I'm going through as a direct result of someone else's choice to inflict this pain upon me, is it really necessary for my refinement? We struggle with God's love with this answer. So it's true, but it's incomplete. Let's find another one. Click in here. Okay, here's another one. Pain and suffering is a natural outcome of sin in the world. Because man has chosen to separate himself from God in the form of sin, even if we're reconciled in the blood of Christ, sin has tainted this world and we will continue to endure the consequences of that until we are reunited with Christ. 
Great answer. You guys have, there's like a lot. They're still coming in. This is wonderful. It's a really good answer. It's a true answer. I think when we ask this question, why would God allow pain and suffering? Most Christians respond with this answer. That it is a result of sin. It is a result of brokenness. And it's certainly true. It's certainly what we believe. That God, when he formed the world... He formed it perfect and good with no disease and no disappointment and no death and no disaster. And he gave us a choice whether to follow him and obey him and flourish or to reject him and to make our own choices and to chart our own path and to think that we know what is best and therefore to disobey. And all the way back in the garden, we chose to disobey God, to chart our own course, to think that we are wise and that we know better than God. And we are still continuing that cycle. And so because of our sin, because of our rebellion and our continual rebellion, sin has entered the world and darkness has been unleashed and things are broken all around us in our life, in the lives of others, in the systems of this world. We see that. It's certainly true. And this is a helpful answer because it passes the love test. So if God loves us, then he must then give us to ourselves and not treat us like robots. He gives us free will. And we unfortunately are accustomed to choosing sin instead of righteousness, instead of God's path and his way. So it's a good answer, but you know where I'm going here. It's incomplete. It's incomplete. Here's why it's incomplete. If you are a parent and you have a child, you love them, and so you will continually instruct them in the way that they should go, the way that is good for them, the way of flourishing, the way of health, the way of success. But you want them to be shaped and formed as their own person who understands that your choices matter. And when you make a poor choice, you will face the consequences of your choices. And so you will tell your child, do not touch the stove when it is on. You will get burned. Maybe the first couple times, you will like misdirect, you'll put a gate up, you'll be very careful. But eventually, you know you're going to have to let your child touch the stove. You see your child going for the stove. You say, here we go. I'm going to let it happen. They got to face the consequences of their action. They touch the stove, they burn their hand, and now they are going to suffer the consequences of that choice. It is actually a loving act to do that. And this is the view of God giving us free will, allowing us to make choices and therefore reap the consequences of sin and brokenness that has entered the world because of our choice to reject him. However, if you are walking with your child in the woods and you're enjoying nature and birds and the trees and whatever else happens in the woods, I have no idea. I don't go that often. I'm kind of terrified of the woods. You're walking out there and you guys are having a great time and all of a sudden you look over and your child has stepped into quicksand. Do you look at your child and say, that's too bad. You step there, I'm going to go find a new child. You know, just walk. Do you do that? Of course not. You say, I'm going to step in and I'll pull you out of the quicksand And because I reach in and pull you out, I'm not taking away your autonomy. I'm not taking away your free will. 
I'm rescuing you from a disaster that was inflicted upon you that was not as any result of your own choice. You just stepped, it looked like leaves, and all of a sudden it was quicksand. And see, though this answer is true, that we do have free will, and the sin and brokenness of our world is a result of our choice to not choose God, it's an incomplete answer because there are a lot of things that we face and we suffer in life that is not a result of our choice. It may be a result of someone else's choice, or it just may be a catastrophe or a disaster or a disease And sometimes when you tell someone, hey, it's just free will, like, yeah, I know, but could not, could God not have pulled me out? Couldn't he have pulled those people out of that situation? Was that really necessary? It wouldn't have taken away their free will and their autonomy. I still don't see the love. I still don't understand. Let's do one more. Some of you wrote dissertations here. (laughs) All right, hold on. Okay, I'm pulling it up. Okay, a lot of them are kind of the same answer, and so, okay, here we go. God allows pain and suffering so that Some of this is the same, so that suffering will produce endurance, and endurance will produce character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. And God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him, even in the midst of our suffering. And the one right after it says that God uses pain and suffering. He allows our pain and suffering for his glory, and he has a good plan for it. That's a good one. I think that's another common answer is that God allows pain and suffering. And as the first person said, it produces character in us and endurance produces character, which produces hope. And part of this maybe is, is kind of buttressed by the fact that we believe that God has a good plan. As the other person texted in, that God has a good plan for our lives and it is for his glory. There's one of the most, one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible is Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And it says, for God works what? Good, all things, or good for those that love him. God works good in the lives of those who love him. All things for good, even your pain and your suffering. So if God works all things in your life for good, for those that love him, then that means he's using your pain and your suffering. And so a way to answer the question would be, to say that God has a plan for my pain and suffering. And I may not see it, but the Bible tells me to believe that it is in fact good. This argument has been picked up by a lot of Christian philosophers and it is known as the noceum argument. Have any of you heard of this argument before? None? Okay, well now you're about to learn. This argument is called the noceum argument and it goes like this. Imagine you walk up to a tent, a large tent like we normally have for our kids' ministry out back, and there's a man out front, and the man says, I want you to go inside of the tent, and I want you to count how many St. Bernards are inside. You know, the dogs with the barrel around their neck have no idea why they have a barrel around their neck always, but they always do. Maybe they're born that way. They're rescuing people. Okay, so you go inside of the tent, and you look around, and these are massive dogs. And so you look, you count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's seven St. Bernards. You walk back out, and you say, there are seven. The man says, are you sure? 
Yes, of course, I'm sure they're massive dogs. There are seven of them in there. So, okay. I want you to go back in this time. We're going to get the dogs out. Go back in this time and tell me how many noceums are in there. So you go inside. If you've been in Miami long, you know what a noceum is. They're on the beach. They're in the woods. That's why I don't go there. And all of a sudden, you're being bit by something that you can't see. You've got red dots. They itch. So you walk inside the tent, and you're, you're itching. You're getting bit, and you're looking around, and you don't see anything because why? You can't see them. That's why they're called noceums. An amazing, very creative name. And so you walk out of the tent, and the man says, how many noceums are there? And you say, I have no idea because I can't see them. I don't know. If there's a million, if there's one. There's 500. And the argument goes like this. What if the pain and suffering in your life is more like a noceum than a St. Bernard? What if the plan that God is working and orchestrating in your life and that he's in fact using all things for good, even the pain and suffering that you're experiencing, what if that plan is not visible and seen and easily recognized like a St. Bernard, but it's more like a noceum. And just because you can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It's a very good answer. Because if God is all-knowing and if God is all-powerful, then when he looks at your life and he looks at human history because he does, he's not bound by time, he's also eternal, and so with an eternal perspective and knowing all things and is all-powerful, he has promised to work good. And so his plan is, in fact, working good. Even though you can't see it doesn't mean that that plan doesn't exist. It's a good answer. It's a true answer. But it's an incomplete answer because it fails at the love test. Because it can feel in the midst of your suffering, if someone were to come up to you and say, it's okay, God has a plan. What do you want to do to that person? You want to slap them in the face. What do you mean God has a plan? Because no person wants to feel like they're being used as a tool or an instrument, as a means to an end. Even if the end is good, to be treated as an instrument or to feel like an instrument for some grander plan is difficult to swallow. You see, a lot of these answers answer the philosophical issues. They make sense. They're well-reasoned. They're logical. And they are, in fact, true. But they fail, oftentimes, at the existential question, the heart question. They don't really provide the necessary comfort and support. They may, in time, and in different seasons, you may have clung to some of these answers. But they are incomplete if you hold on to them as the sole answer. It's like a diamond. When you look at a diamond, it is beautiful and has many different facets to it. And if you were to shave off one side of the diamond, you would have a diamond. And it still would be beautiful, but not nearly as beautiful as the whole. And to take one of these answers and to pull it out and to say this is the answer to the question is to, in fact, state something true and Maybe even beautiful, but it's not as beautiful when you attach it to the whole. We have many answers to the question of why would God allow pain and suffering, but there is in fact the answer. 
We have an answer, but there is the answer, and we see that in the life of Job. In the life of Job, we see the answer to the issue of pain and suffering. And so if you have your Bible or if you texted in the word hi to our text in number, the same one that you texted for putting your answer for the question of why would God allow pain and suffering, we can see this very interesting beginning to a book. It starts with God and Satan having a conversation. And God says this to Satan. He says in verse 8, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on all the earth. A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. And immediately Satan says, of course he is. Of course he is so wonderful and he is blameless and he's upright and he worships you and his faith is authentic and all of these things. You know why God, Satan says? Because he has everything. He's wealthy. He has a great family. His business is thriving. You have put this hedge of protection around him. You've insulated him in this bubble. Of course he's going to worship you. He has faced no pain and suffering in his life. And if you bring any pain and suffering into his life, he will deny you and he will show himself to be a fraud. And so God allows Satan to bring pain and suffering into his life. He limits it by saying, you shall not affect him, but the other things around him you can bring disaster to. And in one day, here's what happens. In one day... Satan, lo- Satan brings suffering to Job's life, and Job loses his entire business. All of his employees, his servants, die. He loses all of his wealth and all of his money. All of his livestock are killed. That was the source of wealth during this time. And most of his family dies. And one day, he loses almost all of his family, his wealth, and his business. And when you read this, especially when you read it for the first time, and and, and for me, even now reading it many times over, the first thing I ask is, why? (laughs) Why is this necessary? Why would God allow this to happen to a man that he says is blameless and upright, and God himself is praising and honoring You see, but when you sit in this text, even here in just the first chapter, and then as you scan the rest of the story, you see something profound, and that is that God has a very unique relationship to pain and suffering. The first thing we see is that God does not actively generate pain and suffering. It's Satan's idea. Satan comes to God and says, let me bring pain and suffering into his life. If you bring it, if you allow it, he will in fact deny you and reject you. And so God allows it. It is not God's idea. It is Satan's idea. In fact, when we look at the landscape of scripture, time and time again, we see that God in fact hates pain and suffering. However, he allows it. He creates the world perfect, but yet he gives us free will And we have chosen to reject him, and therefore we have unleashed the forces of sin and brokenness and darkness into this world. God allows it, and he hates it. It's not his design, 
And it is not his, his, not his beginning or his ending, as he promises that he will make all things new. He hates it, but he allows it. And you're like, that's exactly my problem. He may hate it, and he may not actively generate it. He may allow Satan to generate it and to bring it as in the garden when he allows Satan to tempt Adam and Eve. And here as he allows Satan to bring suffering into Job's life. However it happens, my issue is that he allows it. And here he allows it with Job, but he limits it. It's very interesting to see that. He doesn't just say to Satan, yeah, yeah, go ahead, do whatever you want. He limits it. He says, you can do this, but you can't do this. The reason he does that is because there's a plan. As we said, one of the answers of why God allows pain and suffering is that there is, in fact, a plan. Even though we can't see it, even though Job can't see it, there is, in fact, a plan. And the plan is that God is seeking to accomplish the very opposite of Satan's desire. Satan desires to prove to God and to everyone else that Job is a fraud. And so to prove Satan wrong and to accomplish the very opposite of his desire, God allows pain and suffering knowing that Job will not deny him. Look at verse 20 through 22. It says, Then Job arose as he lost his business, as he lost his wealth, as he lost most of his family. And one day he arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground. He is mourning And he worshiped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. He's citing a plan. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow. In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. At the end of this day, it's the most tragic day of Job's life, one of the most tragic days that anyone could possibly experience. Job is mourning and he is weeping and yet he worships God and he says, the Lord has given me all of these things and now he has taken these things away. I'm still going to bless God. You see, the very opposite of Satan's desire is in fact accomplished, which is Job is not a fraud. His faith is authentic. He worships God even in the midst of his pain and suffering. He cites that God has some plan as he gives and as he takes away. And sometimes I think in the midst of our pain and our suffering, we think, yeah, but I have no idea what God's plan is, and I can't possibly fathom why he would allow these things to happen to me. Neither did Job. Job has no idea about this conversation between God and Satan. We have that perspective. Job has no idea. It's not like God comes to Job later and is like, hey, man, that was great. Good job. You know, Satan and I have this conversation. I was saying that you're not going to deny me. I allow the pain and suffering. Sorry about that. But you continue to worship me and you bless me. So really good. There's a grand plan here. It's wonderful. Never tells him that. Never shares that with him. And after this, in Job's life, he really struggles with the reality of what has happened to him and what continues to happen to him. It's not as if he's just this, this character that is completely not relatable He worships God, he ascribes that God has some type of plan that God gives and God takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord, but it is not easy for him. He begins to wrestle with the reality of his suffering and he has a lot of disagreements and struggles with God. He never denies God, he never loses his faith, he continues to worship God, but it's really difficult for him. And there's this conversation that God is having with 
Job, and he begins in this multiple chapter discussion where God says to Job, hey, were you there when I gave orders to the morning? Do you understand, Job, the vast expanse of the universe? Do you know how to get to the house of light? Do you know where darkness comes from? He goes on this whole thing, essentially humbling Job to say, are you all-knowing? Are you eternal? Do you understand? Can you even fathom what I'm doing in your life? And the book of Job ends with Job looking to God and saying this in chapter 42, verse 2 through 3. It says, then Job answered the Lord. He said, I know you can do all things, and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. As he struggles with seeing God's plan and his purpose, and he really is struggling with the suffering all around him, he ends by saying, I see it now, God. Even if you tried to share your plan with me, it would be too wonderful for me to fathom. I could never wrap my mind around it. And that is in fact true. We are here thousands of years later looking at Job's life. Job could have never imagined the legacy that he would leave as God worked in and through his life. He would never have imagined that for millions and billions of people, Job serves as an example of strength and of faith and of hope in times of suffering. He could have never imagined God's plan for his life, ever. And so he says, God, your plan is too wonderful for me. I uttered what I did not understand. So he's humbled before God. And we read something like that. And if you're like me, you're like, how, how does he have that? How does he have that faith? How does he have that surrender? How is he able to come to God in the midst of all of this pain and all of this suffering and say, God, your ways are too wonderful for me. I could never possibly imagine it. I have uttered things that I don't understand. It's because he had the answer. He didn't have just an answer, a soul pat answer that satisfies the philosophical issues. He had the real answer. In the middle of the book, Job is recounting what's happening in him, in his life, and he says, there is suffering all around me. It never ends. Everyone has abandoned me. God, I feel like you have abandoned me. What is going on? But then he shares here in Job 19 the answer. He says this, Job 19 verse 25, for I know that my, what's that word? Redeemer lives. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last, he will stand upon the earth. You see, what centered Job's heart and his faith and his resolve and his perseverance and his endurance and his strength was not that he had a simple answer to why all this was happening in his life, is that he knew that his Redeemer lives, that he had a hope in a Messiah. He had hope in a Savior and a Redeemer. You see, the answer to the question of why would God allow pain and suffering is not a simple, pat, well-reasoned answer. It is a story about a man named Jesus. The answer is a person. 
It's a story. You see, in the midst of our suffering, we look up and we say, God, why? Why would you allow this? And God's response to us is, I know. I know. I hate suffering too. But you could never imagine the plan I have for your life. You could never possibly fathom the good that I'm in fact working in all things. It's too wonderful for you. But instead of looking up, I want to encourage you, God says to us, I want to encourage you to look across and look out at the man in the crowd, the man, Jesus Christ, who was beaten, who was betrayed, who was imprisoned, who was humiliated, and who went to the cross for your sake and for my sake. And God allowed suffering to be poured upon him, and God did not limit it. He did not limit the pain and suffering poured upon Christ. It says that Christ took the full weight of God's wrath and his judgment and, his, and your sin and my sin and our shame and our guilt. He took the full weight, the full wrath. He paid all of our debts as God poured out suffering upon him on the cross. And he was buried. He came forth on the third day alive because our Redeemer lives. You see, in the midst of the pain and suffering that you're going through, what is the most comforting thing in the world is to know the feeling of being loved. It is to be comforted by the feeling of being loved, not having your philosophical issues answered. It is not someone giving you a simple pat answer. It is to know that you are loved. And the answer to the question, even though we may wrestle with some of our understanding of why, the answer is that you're loved. So we can struggle with why would God allow this and why would he allow that, but we can never doubt God's love because he did not keep suffering from his own son. We can know the love of the Father. We can know the fellowship of the Spirit because of the sacrifice of the Son. We are loved by God even when we can't see why these things are happening, we're loved. Jesus says something so profound, and I want to encourage you to, to memorize this verse and recount it to yourself when you walk through suffering. He says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. See, so we'll have trouble in this life, and we'll struggle with it, but we can take heart, we can take hope, we can take strength and perseverance and endurance because Jesus has overcome the world, because we're loved even when we can't fathom and see it. That's the answer to the question of why would God allow pain and suffering? I don't know, but I know I'm loved. I hope that is strength and hope for you. Will you pray with me? God, I first want to confess that sometimes I act as if I'm entitled to understanding every decision and every action that you take or you allow. God, would you humble me and would you humble all of us in the same way that you humbled Job, that we would realize that we could never possibly fathom the good and eternal plan of you, God. It's too wonderful for us. 
God, but will we not settle for simple pat answers to help bring comfort and support in times of suffering and pain for ourselves or for others, though they may be true and certainly they may be helpful in a way? Would we just know that we're loved? Would we share that love with others? Would we comfort others with your love, God? That you hate suffering too, and that's why you poured out your wrath upon Jesus for our sake, so that our end would not be pain, but it would be joy. It would be eternity in relationship with you where there is no pain and there is no suffering and there are no tears. Or would that be a source of strength for us this week and continuing forward through this year? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.